Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, our bi-weekly Babysitter's Club podcast where we are rereading our favorite book series from childhood and, spoiler alert, having very different feelings than um, <laughs> we used to when reading them as, an, as adults. That pretty much sums up my entire experience with this with this book that we are going to be talking about this week. Yeah, um, I looking back, I think I maybe started this book and realized how much I didn't want to read it and kind of felt the same way again this time around. I think for me, what's scary is that this left little to no impression on me. Mm-hmm. So I should say we are at least, I mean, today we haven't even announced which book we're talking about before we dive right in. I think that's a new record for us. Um, But today we are talking about Stacey's Emergency. So as you may recall from our predictions last week, this is the one where all the foreshadowing finally pays off and Miss Stacey winds up in the hospital. But what we did not predict was how just how intense and dour and sad on so many levels this book was. And what I was saying is what's scary to me is how that didn't even make an impression on me. Like, I remember Stacey having diabetes. I even vaguely remember her going to the hospital, but I don't remember having any emotion around this at all. And we, the other big theme is, is the divorce in this one. And I know that we've talked, as we've talked through divorce in the past, that I didn't have as much connection to that. Like, that makes sense why that wouldn't, you know, really stick in because that didn't resonate with me as a child. But man, it feels a little heartless to, like, not remember what a supreme downer this book was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, why don't we do a back of the book description and our description and then we can, like, really dive in because you got it. Do we have to? Like, that's kind of how I feel. (laughs) Not because it's bad. We'll power through it and then we'll get to a real conversation and see where it goes. Hopefully we can find some glimmers of hope. I'm not optimistic, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and just to be incredibly clear up front, that does not mean I didn't enjoy this one. Like, I, it, it's a very good book, I thought, in a lot of ways. I mean, there's there's some glaring things that we'll obviously touch on, but I think overall I, I enjoyed is a strong word. Like, I'm never reading this one again. <laughs> Not one I want to revisit, but just because I'm saying I don't want to talk about it doesn't mean I didn't like it, if that makes sense. So, lately, the pressure's really on Stacy. She hasn't been feeling well. Her schoolwork and babysitting jobs are almost out of control. And Stacy's tired of being in the middle of her parents' fights. Then it happens. Stacy ends up in the hospital because of her diabetes. The babysitters are so worried. So is Stacy. Why does she always have it so hard? I mean, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that basically sums up how I left feeling this book. Like, I feel so bad for Stacy. Uh, it yeah. just feels like we have, like, death and racism as parts of other people's plots. And I still left this book feeling like, man, why do they dump on poor Stacy so much? Mm-hmm. Well, because it's just a lot in one book. You know, it's it's not just the divorce. It's not just the diabetes. It's everything all at once. And she's in the hospital for two weeks. Even like as a character, like everybody's got a little bit of something, but it seems like she's got, I know that, well, 
let's wait and, and get into the divorce and all of that once we find out exactly why it is. So let's uh, let's do your description now. Okay. So the Stacey-specific plot. The long foreshadowed event has finally arrived. That's right. It's the second very special episode about Stacey's diabetes. As we've discussed, Stacey has been tired and sick for a good number of books in a row leading up to this one, other than the last one, strangely, as we noted. And this book is no different. Stacy is extremely tired, extremely hungry, and extremely thirsty all the time. She's not telling anyone about any of those things specifically, and even worse, she's also sneaking sugary snacks, including ring dings that she took from Claudia's stash, candy bars and M&Ms eaten undercover in the bathroom at school, and fudge from Charlotte and Becca's Martian chef adventure while she's babysitting at the start of the book. She's also so thirsty on her train ride to New, to New York City that she drinks water from the gross bathroom tap multiple times. Ew, yes. I, I had a visceral reaction to that. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's already bad. And that's just like the icing on the disgusting, terrible cake. Like, that's how bad she is feeling and doing. Sorry. Sorry. I just, oof. I felt that. <laughs> so she's running herself ragged and finally admits to her father during a weekend visit that she's not feeling great. And after they can't get a hold of her doctor, they go to the emergency room. Stacy is admitted and ends up spending two weeks in the hospital. She has ups and downs with how she's feeling and the treatments that she's given. And there are also the ups and downs of dealing with her divorce parents being able to be in the same room with each other and treating her like the quote monkey in the middle and the babysitters club taking two trips to new york city to visit her with numerous gifts and cards along with multiple visits and gifts from lane as well Stacey eventually gets her blood sugar and insulin levels under control and is able to go home, where she arrives to a banner and lemonade party to welcome her back. She has the Danny Tanner moment with her mom about her parents not treating her as a go-between or asking asking about each other, and agrees she might need to slow down given the impacts on her health that her busy schedule is taking. She also calls her dad to have the same conversation, quote, off-camera. So, the Babysitter's Club plot. So the Babysitter's Club spends the book worried about Stacy, obviously, and coming for their visits, but the main subplot here is about Charlotte. We all know very much about Charlotte's strong bond with Stacy and her frequently abrupt and heightened emotional reactions to things related to Stacy or otherwise, so it's unsurprising that she has a very strong reaction to Stacy getting sick. It results in major hypochondria with Charlotte in- insisting to each babysitter during Stacy's hospitalization that she has come down with numerous maladies. Fortunately, Stacy being released to come home resolves Charlotte's concerns and issues, and she is the one who suggests the banner and party for Stacy. I, I think the most surprising thing about the Charlotte plot is why that everyone was so surprised that she was having that kind of a reaction. Like mm-hmm. at, at one point, Somebody, I can't remember which of the babysitters, because each of them take a turn with her, or mo- a number of them do, Claudia, Jesse, mm-hmm. Marianne. And and one of them is like, maybe it was Dawn who said, you know, why is she doing this? Do you think it has something to do with Stacy? And I wanted, I, I was like, oh, okay, come on. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. It, it happened the literal same day that Stacy got admitted to the hospital. She's never done this before. Stacy's very sick. Like, Come on, Don. Like, like we're we're veering back into Don being out of character, <laughs> right? If it not was, being no. logical, yeah, it, it was definitely Don. But it was, uh, and to be fair, even like the Johansons, even Doctor Johansson was like, we're not exactly sure why she's doing it. it. Might have something to do with wanting to be in the hospital with Claudia. And I was like, I don't think that. I mean, maybe, but I thought it had more to do with her just like being worried that she could have anything right. that like because Stacy did and and you know not look Stacy doesn't look like a sick person and I I don't know it just didn't seem that deep to me and, and it's it just seemed right. like a weird a weird take on it yeah well and I'm like trying to think if maybe there was like 
in the writing of the book, like sort of behind the scenes, if there was a reason why they didn't lean into that being so obvious for some reason. I can't I can't like off the top of my head, I can't think of like a good reason why you would do that. But like I don't know. Like that's the only reason I could think because there there's no logical reason why everyone, including a, a literal medical doctor character, is being like, maybe it's about Stacey. We're not really sure, though. So we'll just keep an eye on it and see how she's doing in a couple of days. Like, yeah, no, this is clearly it, it's not correlated. It's cause like it's causation here. And they let her stay home from school for two days. Like, yeah, wh- which if they did it in a way that was like, hey, we're letting you stay home because we know you're really overwhelmed with anxiety mm-hmm. about Stacey, like, that's fine. Mental health day, great. Right. Fully on board. But they – it, it uh, well, they didn't – weren't explicit. But it read to me like they let her stay home because she had whatever – Right. Like, whatever basically indulging that yeah. her, her belief in that. And that to me was like – Mm, is that is that the best way to do that? Like, right? I know, Maybe not the healthiest reaction. <laughs> I know parenting standards have changed quite a bit. I mean, I, but spoiler alert: not great parenting is a a theme in this book. And one of the reasons I struggled with this so much is because I couldn't help but feeling annoyed with Stacy in a number of places that I know is unfair with where she is in her emotional development, with what's happening, with her illness, with all kinds of things. But I can't help but empathize more with her parents because I'm more in mm-hmm. in that stage of life. And it made for a very uncomfortable reading experience because I know I was not supposed to be annoyed with how she was handling things. And I and I was. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that that was unfair. I know that that's unfair. And I still couldn't help but but feel feel that way. And it, like as much as I didn't want to, that's how, how I was experiencing it. And I didn't love feeling like a shitty person for, mm-hmm. for being an well, old writer. I think I think part of the issue is like because this has been foreshadowed for so many books in a row, like everyone everyone has commented on it. I'm pretty sure in all of the various babysitters, you know, books narrating. Everyone has noticed and commented that Stacey is tired. Stacey doesn't look good. She's been very run down lately, blah, blah, blah. And so the fact, and again, this maybe goes to the like timey-wimeyness of it, but like for us, we've been seeing this happening for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that she has said literally nothing to anyone and is feeling so bad that she's almost failing multiple classes. Math is the only thing that she's remotely staying like above, you know, a a decent grade in. She's sneaking food, which she knows Mm -hmm. she can't do. And and I, I, one of the things I did appreciate was like in her narration, she talked about the fact that it wasn't fair because it's not fair. You know, it's, it's, it's not because and she compares herself to Don. Don doesn't eat the ring dings at Claudia's house because she chooses that she doesn't want to eat ring dings. She does. She eats a certain type of diet. And she, that's because she wants to do that. That's what she likes. Stacey has no choice. And so she's angry about it, which is totally understandable. Also, she knows that there's a reason why she has to eat that way. And the fact that she is sneaking candy in the bathroom at school, she knows she's she knows it's not right. She knows she shouldn't be doing it. That's why she's sneaking it. That's why she doesn't say to her friends, oh, 
let me have a ring ding. She sneaks it, you know, she, she finds Claudia's stash after Claudia puts him away at the meeting and, you know, slips it into her purse real quickly when she's wrapping up the fudge that Becca and Charlotte make while she's babysitting. She wraps it up, you know, she sends them to go watch TV or whatever. And she's like, yeah, I'll cut it up. I'll put it away. You know, she separates some out for Becca to take home. And she surreptitiously, like, wraps up a couple pieces and sticks them in her purse again and, you know, eats them late at night once she's home. And I think that's what was just so frustrating is like, obviously, this is how the story had to go. So there'd be a story. We've had this come up in multiple books now. It's just so frustrating. And I am I think, and this goes back to what I said at the very beginning of the episode, I don't recall actually reading this entire book. It was around the time that I was still reading books, though. It came out around those times. So I think that I went to read it and started and was like, I, I can't deal with Stacy. So I think I I think I had those same feelings as a child reading this book. Like, what are you doing? Why are you acting this way? You're gonna make yourself sick. And I because it's called Stacy's emergency, you know that's where it's gonna go. The back of the book says she ends up in the hospital. And it's like obviously the end of the book, we do find out that her mom says that the doctor said that her eating those sweets had nothing to do with her ending up in the hospital, which is obviously a good thing to hear, although it's very much an afterthought. It's just frustrating because she's not doing anything that she is able to do. She has friends. She has Dr. Johansson. She's, I mean, she finally in this book talks to Dr. Johansson, but, you know, talk to either of your parents, even if you're having trouble with them. They care about whether you're sick. They want to take you to your doctors. Obviously, she doesn't like going to the doctor as much. Like, I keep having this whole, like, back and forth because it's like, I want her to do the right thing. I understand why she didn't. But because I feel, you know, I'm closer in age and situation to the parents and the adults in the book, it's like, but why didn't you? (laughs) Why didn't you do the right thing? I think this is a perfect example of how the television show was able to take this story then and and take it in a more interesting place because Mm -hmm. they made it much more explicit that it was about the unfairness that Stacy was doing what she was doing, knowing it was wrong because she was like, essentially fuck this. I mm-hmm. don't care. It, like it, it was more of an active self-destruction rather than this feels like ignorance in a way that Stacy yeah. is, is not. And that while not better, I wouldn't say it is, is more, I, I can definitely, it's easier for me to be empathetic toward that. Mm-hmm. I actually though, didn't struggle as much with that, although that did bother me. And where I was really feeling crappy about feeling annoyed was around her stuff with her parents. Because while she had some valid stuff there, they absolutely were treating her like a go-between, especially in the way that they were both pumping her for information about what the other Mm -hmm. one was doing and then, like, using that to try to trap each other. Like, that is gross. That is so gross. Completely indefensible. And... She was not empathetic or understanding at all and was Mm -hmm. incredibly selfish and demanding about wanting her parents to be in the same place, knowing that they are not capable of doing that. And then, like, it would be one thing if the book held her accountable for that, too, and was like, look, when you're sick, it makes you selfish in those ways, and I realize Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have done that. But it doesn't. It makes that those interactions completely the fault of Stacy's parents and to the point where when she finally 
like flips out and screams at them to get out of the room after she forced them into a situation where they have both explicitly told her that they are not okay with Mm -hmm. because she guilt tripped them. She then goes, well, now I'm going to be selfish and do exactly what is best for me. And I was like, bitch, that's what you've been fucking doing. That's what that fucking was. And that's when I was like, okay, this is not. She is a scared, sick Mm -hmm. little girl whose parents just divorced. Like, I, I. I have no idea what that feels like. I cannot mm-hmm. even remotely on any level speak to the hospital scariness, the 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 long-term health th- diagnosis, the parents, the the parents not being able to be in the same room, what that must feel like to no longer be a family. And that was when I think that that's why I really really struggled and that's why I felt like almost dreading talking about this because mm-hmm. like I said it's a good book. I think there's some great stuff in here. And I could not even enjoy it because I had this ugly reaction to to this moment. And it it mm-hmm. it I still feel gross. Yeah. I think I was able to give her a little bit more grace in that situation because when she tells her parents, you know, I want you both here, I want to see you together, and then she sort of admits to herself in her narration, I want to I want to get them back together, even though she knows you know, like she's seen the fighting. She knows why they got divorced. Obviously, you know, it, it's still fresh, like you said. I think it made it a little bit easier for me because she was being sort of irrational. You know, like in her heart of hearts, she would love for her parents to be back together. But she knows, like objectively, she knows that's never going to happen. And I think that it made it a little bit easier for me to like give her some grace around her parents as opposed to the food. And I don't know why I'm having such a disconnect because, again, she ha- she's having a, a poor reaction to being sick. She's having a poor reaction to being sick and her parents still being divorced. So I feel I mean, like I should be able to give her grace about both. But I think the the divorce part and dealing with her parents, I think it was a little bit easier for me to take for some reason. And you know what's so interesting is that we both, you know, had, had similar but opposite reactions to like which part of it we found more frustrating. Mm-hmm. But I know why mine around the food stuff was more empathetic because I also struggle with binge eating disorder and I hate the term willpower for very many reasons, but like at, especially at that age, that feeling of not being in control of knowing I shouldn't eat something, but Mm -hmm. eating it anyway, that is incredibly familiar to me. Um, so that absolutely, um, it colored my, my view of, of how she was was feeling with that. And I can mm-hmm. see how in both of our cases, it was an illness that was driving that that desire. I wish, I, I think especially with, with you, you talked about when the, the doctors were saying that it wasn't a contributing factor. I actually didn't read it as they said it didn't contribute at all. I, I thought I read it as it was one of many things. Like she had been sick. Oh, I like, thought I had said it didn't cause it. Oh, like, gotcha. The reason why she was in the hospital was not because she was. E- Sorry if that was not clear. That's what I wasn't. That's what I was trying gotcha, to get across. Gotcha. That the eating of all of the sugar was not the reason why she went into the hospital. Like, right. like it wasn't like she ate the candy. She went to the hospital. Yes. I, like, yeah, it was. It was obviously all part of a larger issue. Obviously, but it wasn't eating candy at school. Was not you know, which drove her to the hospital in and of itself. Correct. 
my thinking was, I think it would have been really effective and a nice message to say something along the lines of when you're already feeling like it contributed, it like you still shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been more helpful or just a little bit more effective of a messaging if they would have said something along the lines of it, it wasn't why you it happened and it certainly didn't help matters and may have made things worse. And that's mm-hmm. why it's really important that you don't do that. And we also understand when you're already not feeling well, it can make it that much harder to make the right choices. You know, mm-hmm. but again, I think that that's, again, a very 2022 therapy right. speak perspective that probably just wasn't accessible at that time for for where and how this was being thought of and written. Because I, I thought actually overall the it was handled very well compared to some of how the other you know, after school, especially type topics get get handled. I mean, heavy handed, sure. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for when you're aiming at pre-tween and, and younger mm-hmm. kids. I didn't think that it did a great job with making hospitals less scary. Fair enough. You know, the thing that I really appreciated about Claudia's sad goodbye, like they acknowledge that the hospital is scary, but they tried to do a good job of like showing that – you know, it's okay to feel scared, but, you know, here's how you can maybe work through that. I feel like everything that Stacy said about the hospital was negative and there was no, you know, silver lining or, you know, by the end she comes to realize like, oh, blah, 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 the food's not so bad or it's not so bad them waking me up to get vitals and, you know, because it's really important that they keep track of all that or whatever. Like, I just felt like everything was like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. And like, yes, it does. Fully appreciate that. Yeah. But for kids that are reading this, I really wish that there had been some sort of examination of that the way that they did and Claudia and the sad goodbye to make it because there I'm sure there are kids that read these books back when we were kids or now that have similar issues or issues that get them in the hospital and it would be nice if they had you know had an opportunity to read something about being in the hospital yourself not just visiting a sick relative and you know figuring out a way to make it slightly less shitty. I mean, obviously you're in the hospital. It's not great, but I just wish that there had been some way to, you know, have that modeling behavior that we've talked about in other books. I get that. That's interesting because I had a completely opposite perspective on the hospital stuff. I actually really appreciated the approach to it because it was realistic, that it wasn't trying to sugarcoat or be like, you know, hospitals can be fun because they're they're not, and they're usually pretty shitty. And I didn't think it was overly making it scary. I thought it more than anything made it sound boring and dull, which in in my experience is is what makes things less scary if you make it sort of banal because I I didn't get the her like nervousness or anxiety about the hospital things. I got more like like you were saying annoyance. Everything was negative, but in like a Sounds silly, but like in a normal teenager way that everything is annoying, like, ugh, they're, mm-hmm. you know, doing it again. So I, I appreciated that it, it wasn't overly emphasized, but it's really interesting because I totally see your perspective. When you mm-hmm. said that, I'm like, oh no, you're right. That it would have been good to have some kind of like, if, if, right. Like there's the chance of, there's a very good chance that there is a kid in a hospital bed somewhere in the country right now reading these books. And mm-hmm. uh, I can see how that, it, it, there's a balance to be struck between right. overly Pollyanna-ing hospital experiences and overly making it sound like the absolute worst thing in the world. So kids are mm-hmm. like, if if that's presented, I was thinking more as like, 
if I, if I was a kid, I would be comforted by the fact that knowing that like this demystifies it in a way, you know, mm-hmm. by talking about all those negatives that I knew what to expect and that I'm, that it just, and somebody was commiserating with me, you know, mm-hmm. in that experience. So it's interesting because I'm sure that there are probably kids in hospitals reading this right now who are experiencing similar reactions to you. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? It sucks enough to be here. I don't want to hear about mm-hmm. how bad it is. And then there are kids probably having my reaction more like, yeah, this does fucking suck. Like, <laughs> I'm glad somebody sees it. So I, mm-hmm. I actually do really love that, that there's something for everybody. Definitely. Yeah, it was just overall not a fun read. Like, yeah, well, that's the thing is like, I feel like we're having trouble finding like nitpicky topics, you know, because like yeah. all of our other books, it's like, okay, so there's the overarching plot, but that plot has like so many things. And then there's a subplot that has so many things in here. It's like, okay, well, Stacy is in the hospital. Stacy's parents are still fighting. Charlotte's a hypochondriac. Okay. <laughs> I do have a number of random thoughts, though, and some of them that we can, like, get into. But you're right. There's definitely there there, as as I, you know, mm-hmm. want to say. But it just feels like I don't have a ton to say about it because it does what it does is trying to do pretty well. I understand mm-hmm. what it's trying to do. But I don't know how much I can say because it's not for me. It's not landing for me the way that it it, it right. is intended to. And I don't know. And I, I wish... I, I think I would love to find someone who, and so readers, listeners, anybody who has experience, I know we've reached out in the past looking for someone who has some experience around diabetes and wanted to to share new a little bit mm-hmm. about how this works, because I'd love to hear about how things may have changed. Right. I was wondering about that. I thought that was interesting. I was thinking that it's hard for me to say too much about the diabetes aspects of it, because I just don't have the knowledge or the experience to really comment on how that was handled. But mm-hmm. I think in terms of like overall dealing with a, a child who's dealing with a long-term illness or like dealing with something like this, I think it handled, I think, I think it la- stuck the landing and, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a reason these books are, are so good. I just wish it was more of a fun one so we could be effusive about, yeah, it was so great. Right. But that feels wrong in this case. Yeah. It felt like, cut and dry is not exactly what I'm trying to say, but like, it was just very straightforward. Like, here's what happened. Here's, we're going to tell the story. You know, here's the trajectory of Stacey getting sick in the hospital and go ups and downs and the babysitters come to visit. And like, there's a lot happens, but also like, not a lot happens. A lot you know, happens it is, around just, the one main plot. Right. It's just the, the one story that has lots of pieces, but there's not, there's not enough, there's not enough sort of like events that happen over the course of it that are noteworthy, I guess, would be the best way to say it. Like, there's not a lot of noteworthy things that we need to talk about because it really is sort of the big picture things that we've already touched on. So I don't know. And you know what? I think I'm actually realizing that may be a bug for our podcast in which we dissect and talk about it, but it's absolutely a feature of the book. And I think that that is one of the reasons it works so well, because it is streamlined and simple mm-hmm. in a way that these books often aren't. They they usually right. are a little bit more chaotic and cluttered in the best possible way. Like, that's what we love about them. And and this was not. This was just very mm-hmm. uh, to the point. And I, right. I, I think effectively so. That doesn't, however, mean that there weren't some serious what the fuckeries happening <laughs> in this, and in- including the biggest one around Cokie Mason, in which 
I almost threw the book across the room because what? Well, don't forget the other part of that conversation because both parts of what Christy reveals are what the fuck moments. Yeah. So you have to say the other part too. Uh, I don't even remember what the what the second part is. Okay. Well, you say the Koki Mason part, and then I'll say the the other part because okay. it's also what the fuck. <laughs> I think I might have not even. I, I it probably was rage blocked from my mind because then we got to Koki and I like just absolutely lost it. So Cokie Mason, 13-year-old, 8th grade Cokie Mason, got a fucking nose job. Mm-hmm. So talk about shitty parenting all all everywhere in this book, like I said. And let me be really, really explicit. I have no disrespect for plastic surgery at all. If there is anything that anybody wants to do that is going to make them feel more beautiful – power to them. Does it suck that we live in a society that people feel that that's necessary? Sure. But I'm never going to say or judge anybody who wants to do something that's going to make them feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. 13, however, uh, 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 you shouldn't, you don't get to make body altering lifelong decisions at fucking 13. So that's bad enough in and of itself. And then the casual, just fucking shitty way that they're talking they're like mocking her and then Mm -hmm. stacy jokes about she's like well christy is like oh you can always tell when you get a nose job Mm -hmm. and stacy's like you couldn't tell with mine and christy looks horrified what the fuck they are 13 and casually joking about nose jobs like and then Mm -hmm. i remembered that that was just a thing i mean that was a fucking joke in clueless that was just and I can't even wrap my head around, uh, like, no wonder so many kids had issues w- with with mm-hmm. that, why nose jobs were through the roof. Because everywhere you turned around, it was told you had to. What? Mm. Ooh, I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm actually angry at this one. Like, yeah, I had to take a break after after that conversation. <laughs> I was like, yep, I'm I need a break. I can't I can't read this one straight through. I got to walk away for a sec. And what the fuck does that bring to it? What does it have to do with anything? Like, right. at least- It has literally nothing to do with the story. At least 90% of the other stuff that's gotten me this angry has been around things that are meaningful, right? That have, like, brought some bearing into the- I Honestly, I'm trying to think, I don't know that anything's gotten me this angry because it is so fucking meaningless. Because mm-hmm. it is so why. Why is this in here? Like, just, I just, I'm, I'm fuming. Fuming. Sorry. So I think that's why I don't even remember what other shitty Christy thing said, because I, that just took so up the everything. Other, this is less, what the fuck, why is Christy saying this? More, I can't believe this is a thing that happened in a school. But again, it's probably just a product of the 80s and 90s. So Alan Gray has been suspended from school for setting off a cherry bomb in the bathroom at school. And it sounds yeah. like it's like a short suspension. And it's like, wow, that was really a different time like it was just very as because it, it was that and then the Koki mason stuff and so i was like what the fuck and then i was like what the fuck <laughs> and you know what i barely even clocked the cherry bomb stuff because that was such a product of the time that was like in every mm-hmm. like junior high and like and i guess i kind of forgot that those are actual bombs or like firecrackers <laughs> or like i i don't know why i that just seems like I think because it got so normalized, it just seems like a harmless prank. And then now that now I'm even more f- fuming that mm-hmm. I, that I was so desensitized that that didn't even fucking register with me. Like this is the fucking problem right here. 
(laughs) My mind is just like, I was so angry. I had to take a break. I literally Mm -hmm. had to walk away for a couple of hours because I I was, I'm just disappointed because it is so unnecessary. It feels like the Nancy Drew fat stuff from, uh, I can't remember if it was last book or two books ago where they just randomly threw in some fat shaming in there. Mm -hmm. Like the very, very casual body mm-hmm. bullshit the way that they talk about jesse and her eating and uh, it's just all it's all all bad and this feels like the kind of thing that especially something like that why can't we just edit that out of the electronic version like right it adds nothing to the plot like i get i have complicated feelings about stuff like that that like it that feels very of the you know deleting the blackface episodes and that I struggle with that. I understand, but sometimes I think having it there, but with commentary or context, mm-hmm. is sometimes better. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I'm I, I'm not professing that I know the answer, right. but for something like this, especially something that's aimed at kids, it doesn't add anything to it. It doesn't take away anything from the plot. If it's just excised, it it there there is nothing. They can make a joke about something else with Koki. Right. It just feels like if kids are going to be picking this up. We need to do better. And and I don't know. Uh, it makes me so deeply sad that this is the messaging that we were getting. And that, I don't know. I remember, I like my nose. I And I, I remember as a kid thinking, should I not like my nose? Mm-hmm. Because that's how prevalent that messaging was. And, and uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think I'm yeah. out of steam. Because I'm just, <laughs> I'm just sad now. I'm just sad now. Okay. Well, let's talk about, and I think we've talked about this before, maybe when Stacey moved back. Why does Mrs. Schaefer love Stony Brook so, so much that she would leave her her glorious Bloomingdale's adjacent apartment or living situation to move to Stony Brook where they lived for less than a year? You know, right? or a year, basically. And, like, because Stacey's like, oh, yeah, my parents got divorced, and my mom just loves Stony Brook so much. So she had to move back, and so I got to come with her. And it's like, but why? There is why? literally no reason for her to be there at all. It makes absolutely no sense. The only thing I could think of is that she can't afford it to live in Manhattan anymore because they – I don't know how the alimony or the child support situation works, mm-hmm. but one of those – I we know that money was a contributing factor. Her, her irresponsible spending mm-hmm. was a factor for – the breakup and they fight in this one. One of the fights that they're having is around how much he packs into his weekends. He he gets very Disney dad right. and makes fancy ass dinner reservations, like to the Russian mm-hmm. tea room. I was like, do New Yorkers actually go to the Russian tea room? I thought that was just a, <laughs> right. I thought that was yeah, just and a like Broadway shows, museums. Yeah. All of these. It's like nonstop the entire time she's visiting. It's like back to back to back. And go, she, go, go. Does she does accuse him of trying to buy her love and like alludes mm-hmm. to the fact that she can't afford to do those things with her and right. and that being unfair in some way. And and so I like I get again, like how much do you want to be real with kids? But like right. you're right. I, I love so Stony Brook so much makes no fucking sense if it had been we can no longer 
afford to live in Manhattan. She can't afford to live mm-hmm. in Manhattan as a single mom. And she really liked living in Stony Brook and had made a good support system here. So we decided it was the best place to go. 100% by right. that makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, maybe because it's from a child's perspective, she, you know, her mom just told her. Yeah. I love Stony Brook. Let's move back there. And, you know, because you have a support system, presumably she has a support system. I did love in this book that she's like hanging out with Mrs. Pike yes. like, regularly, which is so nice because they're, you know, backyard neighbors or whatever. So it's like, oh, yeah, mom's just over at, Miss, at the Pikes, you know, helping Mrs. Pike decide about getting a hat with for the dress that she's wearing for some event soon. I was like, I love that. But it's also like, why are you here? <laughs> you know? Like, is. I love that they're in Stony Brook. It makes perfect sense for the books. But also, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't actually make sense. Like in, in real world terms, you don't belong here, Mrs. Schaefer. That is one. Wait, Mrs. Gillis. McGill. Mrs. Gillis. Oh, yeah. Mrs. McGill. God, Mrs. Schaefer. Between the two of us. talk about Don in this book. I know. And then, and then I went to Gillis. I don't know where that, where that came from. So, you know, we're both right, right on. It, it's one of those days. <laughs> I think this one broke my brain. Not in the way that in the fun way that some of the other ones do, but just in a giant like womp, womp, womp Mm -hmm. kind of way. Well, so speaking of breaking your brain, one thing that I really loved about the way that this book was written, and it's sort of interesting because I I don't know if we touched on it, but this is an Anna Martin book and it Mm -hmm. feels a little bit different than her other books. And one of the things that I really liked, and I don't know if this was intentional or what, but in Stacey's narration, there were a lot of times when she would sort of lose her train of thought or go off on a tangent. And it was sort of like it, even though the books are written, you know, told in the past tense, it sort of felt like because of her issues, her health concerns, because of the, you know, focus on what was going on with her parents, it sort of felt like she was telling the story in real time and sort of getting distracted because she's foggy or she's hungry or she's thirsty or her parents are fighting. And I really like, as I was reading it, it like kept happening. I was like, I feel like this was on purpose and I really love it. And if it wasn't on purpose, it's the perfect book for that to happen in because it really made sense like thematically that she would be having these sort of like, oh, what was I talking about? Oh, right. This, you know, like I just, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I actually really agree. I I was thinking that it felt more conversational than than Mm -hmm. some of the other ones. And I really, really enjoyed that. And it really did sort of pull you in with her. You felt Stacey's, Mm -hmm. it felt not lethargic in a bad way, but like it had a more lethargic pace than, than some of the other ones, you know, like we Mm -hmm. said, it it was definitely not frantic the way that some, the, the, the other books often feel it. You could feel her sort of slowing down and her fatigue in, in the way that she was talking about it. And you're right. It was really lovely. So Mm -hmm. well done. Anne. I mean, yes, don't give, don't body shame 13 year olds, but (laughs) Nicely done on on the prose. Yes, yes. And to be fair, it's not like Anne was like the originator or perpetrator of that. Where this is, you know, internalized misogyny right. to the it, max. Like exactly, it's just you know, like we were saying, a product of the time. Like it's just sort of like, oh yes, let's make a, a nose job joke for a thirteen year old to the point that none of us even registered that. But yeah, uh, we don't need to re-get into that because then my blood pressure will go back up and I'll be back with Stacy in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, Shove let's over. avoid that. We don't want to send you to the hospital. Yeah, because apparently it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally the worst. <laughs> no bright, no, no silver lining, no bright side. It's just the worst. So I did, 
I don't know why. I think largely to just pull myself out of this this book for a minute, go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Speaking of the restaurants, uh, you know, I because I went well do. I literally Googled, do New Yorkers go to the Russian tea room? (laughs) And apparently for like ironic purposes or like family things or like Mm. sometimes for special events, you know, but more it's no, it's not like a, a, it's more of a touristy place. However, Sign of the Dove was actually a hotspot back in the day. It was a, it's a real restaurant. It closed in 1998. So not too long after. But it had just gotten a big, like, overhaul in 1991. So I'm curious, like, when this was written versus, like, what that happened there. Because previously, it was known for its ambiance, but not at all for its food and or service. Like, (laughs) got it to the point that that was – it was noted for not being noteworthy for that. Like, Okay. But it was, like – That's not great. (laughs) Yeah. But it was, like – a seen and be seen type of place because it was so cool looking. It was like one of those Instagram type places now. Got it. But like in the sixties, like Jackie Kennedy had a party there. It was like very much a hot spot, but not about the food. Kind of like that place in Paris where the waiters are really, really terrible to you. And that's why you go to be like berated. But anyway, the point is Mm -hmm. in 1991, they had just done a big upgrade and we're like, no, fuck this. We're going to get the food right. And apparently they did. But then close seven years later, so go figure. Well. But anyway, don't know why. There was a whole New Yorker yeah. profile about the the billionaire owner. He was like a – I can't remember what he was before he, he – but it, it was it was fascinating. It was a fun little, yeah. like, let's avoid reading about diabetes by – ooh. Right. What's the <laughs> sign of the death? Something else instead. Yeah. So this was our completely unnecessary Wikipedia tangent for the day. Now you all know about the history of the sign of the dove. I think we're all better for it. Because I sort of just assumed that that was a fake restaurant since half the like things that are referenced in these books like are they're either definitely real or completely made up. And that name of that restaurant, I knew the Russian tea room was real. So I assumed that the other one, since it sounded made up, was made up. But it was not. I did the same exact thing because they usually do throw in like one or two real things and then mm-hmm. one or two fake things within the same, like, when they're listing them together, like, right. with books. They'll list, like, a couple of real books and a fake one, something like that. And they're so obvious are the real ones, like you said. Right. Like, everybody knows the Russian Tea Room. But I don't know. Do you think in 1990 people would have known Sign of the Dove? I'm sure as hell didn't. No, definitely not. But maybe. Who knows? I don't remember. Who knows? I remember Mac the Knife, but that's the extent of my – do you remember those McDonald's commercials? Mac Tonight? Yeah, but the – Oh, did I say Mac the Knife? You did. <laughs> Jesus. It's like, I don't know what Mac the Knife is. That's the song they're singing from Three Penny Opera is the Mac the Knife. Ah, is, okay. Ma- the Knife is the song. Anyway. Wow. I can tangent a tangent, apparently. That's a new- So many tangents. New skill. I feel like I didn't have that many other random thoughts other than, I don't know why, but some of the physical descriptors were especially gross this time around. Jesse's chocolatey brown skin. I was like, ooh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just felt, I don't know. I, 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 It felt like Anne was trying to zhuzh it up a little bit and in a way yeah. that, that kind of missed the mark. Because this was the also the one of the first books, if not the first, since Jesse has joined and Mallory has joined the Babysitter's Club. Like, this is maybe one of the first ones where it wasn't like, and here's the other thing, Mallory's white and Jesse's black. So maybe it was like Anna Martin being like, let's find another way to make it clear that Jesse is black. Not a great way, but not 
Mallory's white and Jesse's black. Like, like, one like thing every they other don't one. have in common. Right, is exactly. Their they're tone. everything else in common, but guess what's not in common? This one fun fact. Um, yeah, I, there it was not not the best descriptions and like you know it just fit in with the overall body stuff and i don't know yeah that, yeah that just i guess that makes sense heading into the 90s we are really heading into that like kate moss you know mm-hmm. nothing tastes as good as skinny feels eat an ice cube yeah. and a cigarette for lunch fashion phase so it's i think it's interesting maybe not maybe i'm going to make a commitment to do my damnedest to try to take some of the emotion out of it and really treat it as let's look at mm-hmm. it as that cultural time capsule and really think about what was happening when right. we were talking about fashion and bodies at the time this was being written and, and how that was changing because it really did. I mean, these started in 89 and fashion went through massive changes between early nineties into the late nineties. And mm-hmm. I mean, the body stuff was bad all the way through, but, but right. different kinds. Varying le- levels of bad in different ways. Yeah. I, I, you know, as much as possible, because we know we're going to see it. Let's, let's try to see if we can't, mm-hmm. I'm going to make that commitment. I don't know how well I'll hold it up. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll see what I can do as well. I think, I think that's a reasonable goal for us to set for ourselves because yeah, l- looking back, it, it's not, it's not good, but we have to sort of look at it through what the reality of the world was at that time. Cause obviously yeah. we feel very strongly that it's not great now right. i'm sure that we didn't feel good about it as kids reading those things but like we just didn't really there notice. was a reason why it was why the books were the way that they were and i am reserving the right to what the fuck it fair i will just you know rein it in with one or two what the fucks maybe a third and then and, and not you know a full-on rant right i don't know if people are going to be really disappointed by that or really excited <laughs> by that <laughs> probably this well, probably the latter or a little bit of both. You yeah, never know. Did you have any other random asides that you wanted to mention? Not really. It was like I said. It was it was kind of subdued. Is probably the best word I could think of overall. There just wasn't a lot mm-hmm. of like high energy that was happening. So there wasn't a lot to really jump out. Even the fashion mm-hmm. was kind of subdued. Yeah. I had a couple like just sort of one-off things I wanted to note. The first of which is I'm looking now at my notes and I definitely wrote, I don't understand why Mrs. Schaefer would choose to move back to Stony Brook. So apparently when I was taking my notes, I thought that I was talking about Mrs. Schaefer and then I read it and said it to you. And so it still is Mrs. Schaefer. So so apparently I've been like this, you know, since I read the book rather than just today being the issue. (laughs) And the funniest part about that is of all the parents you could pick, you picked Mrs. Schaefer, who actually did move back to Stony Brook for good reason. Right. Exactly. I love it. So, yeah, I have two other ones. Apparently, Lane does not like MoMA, which you're an idiot, Lane. Also, we learned way more about Lane in this book. And and other than the not liking MoMA, which, again, objectively wrong. Just wrong. I kind of dig Lane now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the reason why we love her so much is because she buys all of these like random objects for Stacy and like she there's talk of a a giant cockroach uh cicada keychain that lit up cicada yeah a cicada that lit up that she gave her years ago that she used to use until the the flashlight died and then there's a, a you know a spider that you wind up that she puts sunglasses on that she already had the sunglasses and they just happen to fit perfectly and like I mean, Lane's just... I would not expect that from Lane. That is not how no. we've seen her portrayed so far. I was like, where the hell has this goofy queen been? Like, I, right. we, she's been made out to be the snobby a-hole. And the truth is, 
she's hilarious. I yeah. was like, I love. She's a big nerd underneath, on, after all, which I love. Except she doesn't love MoMA, so I just like yeah, her. Yeah, then bit. and and but that doesn't fit. I as somebody who would find gifts like that funny would one million percent be into MoMA. Exactly, exactly. They sort of go together. It exactly. makes sense. And then the other thing I had. So when Stacy's mom, Mrs. McGill, not Mrs. Schaefer, <laughs> so when she goes to the hospital for the first time, she stops on the way and buys Stacy a stuffed pig. And she says, I didn't have enough time to find a porky pig. I'm so sorry because obviously we know that Stacy can do the porky pig voice. So Stacy says, I've never had a porky pig stuffed animal, which is a flat out lie because the reason that we know that Stacy can do the porky pig voice is because in California Girls, she buys a porky pig stuffed animal at Universal Studios or one of the places that they go because she can do a perfect porky pig impression. So we know that she has a porky pig stuffed animal at home and her mom and her both are like, I I love porky pig. I've never had a porky pig stuffed animal. Like, yes, you'd have unless we're in like the, you know, time machine and California Girls hasn't actually happened yet. No, it's just an alternate dimension. Remember? Alternate universe right. Stacy has a it's porky pig. It's a different Stacy that has a porky yes. pig. But both Stacys can do a perfect porky pig impression. That tracks. This Stacy never went to California. She doesn't mention it in this book, so this is its own little pocket universe. That's true. It, we don't know which ones it connects to, but it's it's not connected to California Girls. And and it's not connected to any other timeline we've heard about because apparently in this timeline Mrs. Schaefer and Mr. Spear dated for ages which is That's 1 true. million percent not how it went down in the real timeline or no and in- she was dating other people for most of that time as well for that short period they were dating before they got engaged and married and it sounded like she was dating Trip way more the hell than she was dating him at all so anyway i and then you know multiple weeks in the hospital just somewhere in the nebulous square. Right. It's fine. Yes. It's its own little pocket universe. Either that or she's humoring her mother. Right. Her mom forgot about the porky pig. Because at least her mom wasn't there to buy that one. But most likely the person who forgot was the one who was writing it. <laughs> fair. That's fair. But hey, continuity's hard, especially when you've got ghostwriters and Right. And when they're you're writing them so fast that one comes out every month. Like it's hard. We understand. Yeah, totally we'll, get it. We'll cut you some slack, Anne and Ghostwriter team. But we're still but gonna, we're still laugh gonna at comment it. on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not gonna let just like let it go, let it go. We're gonna let it go, but also not let it go. We are true dyed in the wool old school nerds. Our favorite thing in the world to do is exactly. nitpick shit. Yeah, we track things, we pay attention, we get into the nitty gritty. It's just who we are, which is why we have this podcast yep. and do it about the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> I really remember as a kid, like, having deep conversations, like, really digging into, like, Star Wars or I can't – something like that. Maybe it was Buffy or something with with a friend, like, digging into nitty gritty and then, like, bitching about continuity errors and something mm-hmm. like that. And I remember my mom being like, do you even like this show? And I was like, oh, it's my favorite. <laughs> That's why I know so much about it and I can nitpick it so much because I love it. Yeah. I wouldn't nitpick if I didn't love it. Like, I wouldn't wouldn't care enough to know all that shit. So we pick because we love. Exactly. I think that should be our new slogan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Slogan, motto. I love it. So, yeah, like you said, there's really no fashion in this book. 
for it being a Stacey book, it was, you know, the generic Christie description, a sort of generic reference to Stacey and Claudia wearing like wild clothes and jewelry. And then Stacey's mom buys her a, a green sweater and a green beret from Benetton. Yeah. But she's not even wearing it. And, you know, we just sort of get generic references to pajamas and putting on a different outfit, but never any description of what those outfits might look like or even what the pajamas look like. The big thing was the Benetton that stood out for me. Mm-hmm. So do we want to do predictions for Dawn and the big sleepover? You know it. I got absolutely nothing. This title rings zero bells. Same. Yeah, when I was looking at the our like list in order of literally everything, because I wasn't sure if this was next or the super special was next, and I was like, it's not the super special. It's a book I didn't know existed and have absolutely no idea what it's about, except probably a big sleepover. I would imagine. So I'm going to go with, for my like rational, realistic guess, I'm going to go with they have a great idea to throw a kid's overnight, kind of like one of those like overnight at the zoo or overnight at the Mm -hmm. museum type things. But the babysitters are hosting it and they're having a big, a big sleepover for their babysitting clients. Maybe there's some kind of fancy Stony Brook event that all of the people are going to. Maybe that's what Mrs. Pike needed the hat for. Okay. <laughs> and they want to let all the kids have be babysat by the babysitters while they're at this big gala or whatever. But the, that shit goes late and, you know, the kids need to go to bed. So the babysitters have the grand idea that they're going to throw a sleepover and have all the kids stay at Watson's mansion. So that's my, okay. that's my prediction. Yeah. My prediction was going to be a, a Christie's great idea, sort of like the, the pet show, like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if... But I was going to say, like, it's not because there's anything else going on. It's just because they're going to have this event and they're going to do it in Dawn's barn, which is why it's Dawn's big sleepover because it's at her house. Maybe it's even her idea, you know, like maybe she has her own great idea and it's to have a sleepover or, you know, maybe or hmm. well, I was going to say maybe like. Because, like, if Jeff was still, maybe Jeff's, here, here we go. Jeff's coming to visit. He wants Uh, Nikki and the triplets to come stay over. And then they're like, oh, but what about so-and-so? What about, you know, what about Matt Braddock? What about this? What about that? And then, you know, they invite Matt Braddock. And then Haley's like, well, what about me? And then, you know, Vanessa wants to come. And, you know, Becca wants to come. And Charlotte. And so it ends up sort of snowballing. And the, the girls are like, well, you know. Richard and Sharon are going to be in the house. Let's just, you know, make it a big thing. You know, we everyone will be safe. All of us will be here. We'll have adults around and we'll throw this big party and it'll be a sleepover and it'll be great. Love it. Okay. Interesting. Can't wait to see. Mm-hmm. So outlandish prediction. You know what? I'm going to lean into the big, Dawn's big sleepover in that she goes to have a sleepover with a friend and they try to sneak out and get caught and they wish mm. they could be more grown up. And so the next day she wakes up as a an adult. Big. <laughs> like big. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Um, what is my outlandish one? My outlandish one is that her big sleepover is on a class trip to Washington, D.C., and she sleeps over in the White House. <gasps> Ooh, does she sleep in Lincoln's bed? Does she, like, she does. basically She's Frank in the Weiler Lincoln it? bedroom. She, so the, the, here, we'll go even one step further. The Stony Brook Middle School is going on their, you know, eighth grade trip to Washington, D.C., like everybody does, I guess, in the, like, eastern half of the country. And 
as part of that trip, you have to write an essay about, you know, what American democracy means to you or why Lincoln was the best president or some some generic topic like that. Maybe Lincoln being the best president isn't that generic, but some some, you know, essay contest and the winner gets to stay overnight in the Lincoln bedroom. And Dawn wins out of all of the the middle schools going. It's not just Stony Brook. She wins, you know, all of the schools in Connecticut or something. Of course. And so she gets to stay in the Lincoln bedroom. And while she's there, Lincoln's ghost visits her because he knows that she loves ghosts and she loves hauntings. And he pulls a Bill Murray and just comes in and goes, ooh, no one will ever believe you. <laughs> yeah, like, I love that. Bounces. Yep. Perfect. I, I really hope one of our, our outlandish ideas comes true because I would love either of those stories. I think we should find a way to combine them because I think we yep. can figure it out. Oh, <gasps> Big Dawn chaperones the trip and she has to figure out a way to become little again so that she can get to the Lincoln bedroom and that the, the like Lincoln's ghost, that's like the, the note at the end. Like that's the bottom like joke. <laughs> like she's like so proud of herself. She made it. She's a kid again. She's in the Lincoln. And then he goes, Ooh, Ooh, I'm a ghost. <laughs> okay. We I like need that. our own fanfic site, like for real. Combined stories. Perfect. No notes. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, any other final club business before we wrap this one up? No, we clearly needed to like get some <laughs> silliness in, injected in this somewhere. So uh, for sure. I'm glad we're like, ending on an up note because I was not expecting that. <laughs> no, definitely not. So if you want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, we are at Generation BSC. Or if you have thoughts on our various <laughs> ideas about Dawn and the Big Sleepover, please share them. And if you're a fanfic writer and are inspired, please send us your fanfic because we would love to read it. I mean, even if it's not based on our outlandish ideas, any fanfic you you might care to write. I'm, I know we've found some on the internet in the past, but if you have any specific that you think we would love, yeah, or not, if you think we would need <sighs> it, I don't care. I want to read it. Recommendations, so <laughs> yes. So you can send send any of those things to uh, us uh, via email at generationbsc at gmail So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic and I'm Lauren Hunter, and this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.